So we are now starting uh, our new panel uh, on the topic of shipping and capital, uh, al alternative sources of capital and options, and also the public and private dilemma. Shipping is a capital intensive industry. So access to capital is critical for the uh, viability of the industry. Uh, we have with us a great uh, panel of uh, principals uh, led by Panos Katsambas, partner Arid Smith, who is going to take us through the discussion. I'd like to thank uh, and welcome George Verukos, Michalis Chalkias, Aristides Peters, and uh, Eddie Valentis for joining us. Uh, we have a mix of uh, public and private companies. So terrific uh, setup to uh, delve into all these uh, topics. Pano, take over and thank you very much to all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Nicola, for the introduction and greetings to everyone. Uh, a pleasure to be with uh, CapitalLink and the audience uh, once again. Um, and greetings to all the panelists. Um, as Nicola said, uh, we're going to be talking about the different sources of capital uh, in an environment where it appears that uh, you know options are scarce. Uh, the traditional banks have to a certain degree retreated from uh, shipping. Traditional bank financing is not readily available. Um, private equity has participated, but again, on the equity side, um, transactions have been fewer and fewer over the years and the public markets seem to be in a period where the sector is not um, its favorite child. So we have a great mix of owners here and we will uh, be examining uh, all these topics um, and, um, and, and discuss how and what strategies should ship owners be employing today to grow their fleet. Uh, Michael, let me start with you. And uh, I know you've stayed away from the public market so far, at least in this, uh, in, in, on the shipping side. Um, and uh, I wanted to, you know, at the same time, you've done uh, a lot of deals with private equity investors. How has the experience been? And what type of deals is private equity interested in today? Thank you, Panos. Uh, indeed, over the last uh, decade, you have been fairly active in the private equity space. Uh, we have successfully invested in uh, six different ventures with four different partners, raising close to half a billion dollars, which have no doubt uh, fueled our growth. Um, our experience has been overall positive, I would say, depending on, of course, on the different uh, goals and expectations each of our partners may have. And this actually perhaps is one of the many points where private equity differentiates from the public markets in the sense that uh, once you are public, you might miss the flexibility to follow different road paths alongside each of your partners. So by staying private, we have created uh, a platform which allows our operational expertise to adapt and accommodate uh, diverse strategies. Um, now, is there interest today for shipping uh, investments from private equity? I would say we still see some appetite from some funds, but no doubt much less than before, as you said. Uh, fair to say that in many cases, their investments didn't play out as planned, uh, with a lot of them even before COVID, I would say holding underperforming investments with prolonged and unknown exits. Now, in terms of um, sector, I wouldn't argue that tankers, barkers, containers, or any other segment is preferred. Uh, in that sense, I think that most funds uh, are sector agnostic, 
at the same time, uh, there might be other factors in play that shape their investment focus. For example, distress situations, or lately, we see also you know, even undertakings uh, getting uh, momentum. Um, I would say that in my mind, uh, the slowdown in private equity back deals does not necessarily indicate a complete lack of interest in shipping. Sometimes it's just a matter of structure and offer terms. Um, today, I would say that any funds that are still interested in the space require anything from subordination of owner's equity and seniority distributions to preferred returns. So in many cases, going all the way to effectively mimicking uh, pure credit. And of course, uh, this results in much uh, higher cost of capital, which is far from ideal uh, in our capital intensive industry. Also, I think uh, we should have in mind that it is the alternative or the distressed asset arms of these private equity funds that typically invest in shipping. And nowadays, unfortunately for us, there are a number of other interesting opportunities that might fit better uh, their, uh, their agenda. Thank you very useful. So I, if I take your points, effectively shipping competes with other sectors uh, to, to get this type of capital. And gathering from what you said, the, the, the deal interest is not so much in, in a specific sector, but it goes much more into the structure of the deal and the synthetic nature of the deal. So if you can find uh, an opportunity, it seems more relevant to the structuring, the terms of the deal and how you um, um, synthesize the, the different instruments, let's say, whether it's uh, a senior debt or, or uh, preferred equity for the, for the private equity investor or different tranches in between that can, uh, that can get them the returns they want, then the avenue is still available despite, you'd say, some of the bad results uh, that they've experienced in the past. I would say that's right, but as I said, uh, one main difference that we see compared to what we have seen in the last, let's say, at the beginning of the private equity, uh, let's say, heavy involvement in shipping is that there are very few funds today, if any, that uh, they would look at structures, pure equity structures, pari pasu structures that uh, actually ourselves, we have done a couple of those at the beginning of, uh, let's say, our our co-investment with private equity. I think that these are very, very rare these days. And in most cases, we're talking about structures, as I said, that, uh, and as you said, that they have, uh, they get closer to a kind of quasi-equity uh, type of uh, transaction. Got it. Let, let, let me change it to, uh, switch to George and, and, and get his use. Um, I guess you've transacted with private equity investors as well, but also being on the public side. So what is the biggest hurdle for the shipping companies in the public sector today? And how do you comment around the opportunities um, for, for growth today uh, in the comparison between public markets and private equity, George? Well, I would say that the biggest hurdle for a publicly listed company is to uh, get the necessary liquidity and the investor's interest. And in order to do so, I would say that in my view, uh, the, the strategy is to continuously be close to the investors and try to show them the differentiation uh, between the company that, for instance, we run, uh, in any case, each person's company, and the rest. 
Unfortunately, shipping is a very small sector in the capital markets. It's a tiny sector. The, you know, the size of the companies are too small for uh, capital markets. And the past history uh, has not been great. The returns in uh, the money that investors made or lost was, you know, was not something that investors, uh, you know, are keen to re replicate. So unfortunately, you know, there hasn't been a lot of uh, success stories in shipping vis-a-vis -vis capital markets. Uh, and that's why the work, you know, the, the road is an uphill effort to try and, and show to the investor community that, uh, you know, it's our company in my case is different from uh, others and why they should invest in our company. Uh, I have seen that, you know, we have been involved two years in this and I've seen that over the past two years, we finally make investors understand the difference. Uh, I have to be say also that we are in a, in a sector that it hasn't had any negative stories uh, from any of our peers, you know, in containers there are like four companies publicly listed, all of them good. You know, none of them has had any legacy negative stories uh, for the investors. So that also helps a little bit. So as a sector, they view containers as a little bit different than the other sectors, a little bit more of a stable sector. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it is definitely a hurdle to generate liquidity. I mean, investors want to be able to go in and out of a company easily. And in order to get this uh, achieved, you need a lot of investors and a lot of liquidity. And that is important. Let, let me probe a bit on, on, on a couple of these points. And is, is the lack of liquidity due to the size of the companies? And, and if so, how can we get past that? Is it a matter of, um, you know, uh, trying to uh, approach a consolidation strategy or something else to, to, to make um, the companies bigger that would enable a bit more uh, trading ability uh, from the investing class. And, and, and sort of a second, a bit different question. You mentioned in the past that we haven't seen a great success story um, in shipping in the public markets. I'd like to probe a bit on that as well. Maybe we can start with that and then go to the to the earlier point. Why? What are the main reasons that that we haven't been able to see a success story? Is it market cyclicality, or are there other more fundamental issues? Well, uh, let me start from the second question. Definitely, market cyclicality is important, and investors have to realize that in shipping you have to invest and stay. You cannot just go in and out. It's not the ideal play for a hedge fund. It's more of a, the, a play for a, a fund that you know, keeps investments six months to a year at the minimum. As otherwise, you know, you, the, the investors expect the company to raise the stock and then sell it and move to the next one. Uh, for shipping, we know all that we have cyclicality, but long-term, if a company is run well, there is always profitability and there's always uh, the possibility for good dividends. Now, why it has not been a success story? It has, the, don't take me wrong, there have been quite a few success stories, but overall, uh, investors have had a little bit of a, you know, they were not patient enough and they have been very nervous to go in and out throughout the cycles. 
and they lost money. In addition to that, there have been some mistreatment of investors, we know that well, from public listed companies. And that again, did not play well uh, into the memories of investors. Uh, now, vis-a-vis -vis the, the question you asked me about the, the private equities and yeah, liquidity. I mean, yes, private equities see the public markets as a possible exit. And many of those have tried to do that. They ended up not being able to exit as soon as they believed. Uh, but you know, if a private equity is a long-term player, which many of those companies are long-term players, then it's a great, it's a great uh, uh, transformation to move from private into public because they do have liquidity. Subject that they're not doing that for a rapid exit because that won't happen or if it happens, it will kill that stock. Uh, we're very lucky that in, in our case, because we have a private equity as a, as a partner in our company, uh, they're not in this category. You know, they have been in this, uh, in this game for many years and they have had another success story in another public company and, you know, uh, nobody lost money, they, their stock went up and all of that. But generally speaking, uh, private equities uh, consolidating into, into public companies it is a double-edged sword. It can be good, it can be bad. It depends on the strategy of the specific company rather than a generality. If they are investors that stay, that's fine. And there are such companies and they're quite well uh, invested and quite largely invested in public companies. And we see them being very patient and good shareholders. They support the companies and everything. Uh, there are other companies that, you know, want to do a slam dunk and, you know, get in and out very quickly. Those are not really fit for public companies. And not only in shipping, that's a general uh, comment, I would say, you know, uh, public public markets need patience. Aristides, probably you want to say something. Yes, I, I was going to turn to Aristides. Uh, Aristides, sorry, I, I was going to turn to you and, and, and hear your views on that side and compare them also, because you have a public company, you've done deals on the private equity side. so. I, I want a little bit of the comparison and the, uh, you know, and the perspective uh, of, of having experienced both and, and, and how you position um, your company in today's environment. Yes, Pano, I, I wanted to, to, mm -hmm. to add a little bit to what George was saying uh, previously about uh, public companies and the type of investors that we have and the reasons why uh, we, we don't have more investors and the liquidity is, is so low. I think uh, the most single most important parameter is, is the market. What happened uh, in, in shipping? Shipping came into the markets uh, in between the years 2005 to 2008. So everybody who got in at that point got in at the high level and with the expectations you know that this could continue which of course couldn't and then we had 10 years of uh, bad markets with uh, a couple of spikes during which the market seemed to be recovering but nothing ever lasted i i think all the investors in the public companies uh, they, they look at the markets and they will invest again in the public markets 
uh, as soon as we have uh, a market that is good for a couple of, for at least two, three, four quarters. And that's, that's when we will see uh, valuations rise and rise uh, significantly and uh, equity being able to be raised. But it is a cyclical business. Shipping is a cyclical business. And uh, the investors will always play the cyclicality. And there are some investors that will come during low markets and try to position themselves to get out uh, in, in, in the better markets. Uh, cyclical, cyclical companies, not only shipping, have difficulty with the public markets because uh, people can easily get in and out usually if there is enough liquidity and they want to do that. So uh, I, I think this is something we have to acknowledge about the public markets. The investors are not going to be steady investors for, for the long term. They will play the markets. That's what they do. Uh, pri private equity, uh, on the other hand, uh, again, they play the markets, but they have a higher, uh, you know, uh, a larger uh, duration for their investments. They are there to, to stay for five, six, seven years if need be. And this is normally a, a good enough cycle for shipping because uh, cycles generally are, are less than seven years. So investors who invest at the low end of the market are going to be making uh, good returns normally. What happened this time was because we came after the super cycle, which was at levels which were extravagant uh, and, and unrepeatable, without the shipping knowledge, thought that this would be repeated. And they got disappointed because it didn't happen. Following the super cycle, we have had 10 years of just a few mini cycles, which were too short to enable people to make significant profits. Uh, but the, all, all, all this, I think, has disillusioned investors who are not uh, involved in shipping in their ordinary life as, as a business. And I think this is what has been good because uh, now that this has happened and uh, we have not seen a new money pouring in and ordering new vessels in the markets, uh, I think the market in the next couple of years will, uh, will uh, give the players that are still involved with the business significant returns because there are not too many. When the market was flooded after uh, you know, 2005 to 2008, it was flooded with investors thinking it would repeat itself. It didn't repeat itself. A lot of people lost a lot of money. It hasn't been good. Now there's not so much interest. The little interest that is there, I think, is going to reap significant uh, rewards going forward. Let's certainly hope so. Uh, Eddie, Eddie, let me turn it to you and, and, and um, hear a bit uh, about being in the public markets today and wanting to raise capital. We know you, you did a transaction recently. Why don't you take us a bit through that and, and how you approach growth opportunities uh, and, and how creative one uh, needs to be to, to, to raise money today in the public markets. 
Uh, well, it's. Uh, I mean, I don't want to repeat what the other speakers have said, but uh, it's de definitely uh, very challenging uh, to obtain cost-effective, flexible capital to meet the every company's uh, objectives. So it's uh, definitely a difficult market and difficult times to be a public company. Um, on the other hand, uh, besides uh, you know the occasional preferred stock issue and limited use of ATMs at the market offerings, there is little new equity activity. Um, as we have seen, some microcap shipping companies have completed a series of discounted follow-ons of public common stock priced uh, with 50 to 100% warrant coverage at the same uh, deeply discounted, discounted offering price. Typically the investors, because uh, you discuss about the invest, how the investor base is changing, for these deals, uh, usually the investors consist of the same seven to 10 hedge funds who trade in and out of these shares and have the five-year warrants for the sake of optionality. Uh, selectively, convertibles can be considered as it, it is a huge market in the US. For example, we recently completed a small public convertible preferred stock offering, which classified within shareholders' equity. Uh, this was a convertible at our NAV and had an automatic forced conversion, conversion feature at a higher trigger price. Um, we gave the investors the uh, incentive uh, with um, uh, warrants, 30% warrant coverage, but again, not below RNAV. So uh, uh, there are some uh, uh, transactions in the market overall. Uh, you have to be patient and you have to be uh, close to the in investor base and uh, uh, to the market. And, and obviously, transactions like the ones you described with those sort of uh, synthetic terms uh, are much more difficult to do, I would imagine, on the private side. Being publicly listed gives you a lot more flexibility to explore these options, right? Correct, correct. And this is the reason of being public, to have more transparency and uh, for investors to be able to appreciate your company. The track record is very important. And uh, despite the size, because I'm sure you will... Uh, answer a uh, question that whether it makes sense to be a small co a company to be public or not. Um, it makes sense because it gives you optionality, and this is uh, uh, the reason of being public, and this is the reason that you have to stick to your plan. Um, let me just say for the um, uh, for the audience benefits that there is a Q and A button, and if you want to pose any questions, I'll do my best in, in this time to to raise them with the with the panelists. But uh, having touched a bit on the equity side and private and, and public, I want to switch and go to uh, you know what what appears to be to a certain degree uh, um, uh, another difficult aspect of the of of the market on the capital side, and that's on the debt side on the debt capital, and. Uh, let me start with you, Aristide, and, and, and give us your perspectives in the difficulties we see in obtaining debt financing and kind of the options um, available today and whether some of the more expensive platforms um, backed by credit funds and so forth are real options for ship owners uh, at the cost uh, they command. Sure. What we have seen is that traditional uh, Western economy banks 
uh, willing to finance the sector and having taken significant hits uh, during the last years after the tremendous uh, super cycle uh, collapse, uh, they have been uh, much more careful in lending. They are lending mostly bigger clients. They are lending lesser amounts, uh, but they are continuing to be lending rather cheaply between, between two to three. Three uh, percent, two to three percent above LIBOR. Because we have had this difficulty in all these Western banks, uh, we saw uh, the involvement of uh, two different types of financing. Again, from Western institutions, but some from some credit platforms but these were much, much more expensive, headed by shipping professionals could, who could understand the various projects and could understand the risks involved in the various projects. So you could see elder ships being financed because there is no reason not to finance elder ships uh, if the deal is a good deal and you can understand it's a good deal rather than stick with uh, the Western banks uh, a, a modus of operandi, nothing more than 15 years gets financially paid down to scrap and all that stuff. But all these uh, credit funds came at a significantly higher costs, starting from uh, you know low sixes up to mid tens. Uh, so, so we've seen significantly expensive finance uh, and some smaller companies uh, have taken it. If your project doesn't yield the 15% return, it's, it's a significantly riskier project. Credit funds, they are there to move in case something goes ba bad and take possession of the asset easily. So that was the one way that uh, the market coped with the demand for, for capital, for debt capital. The other way was that uh, the Far East started evolving, and uh, China especially, but not only China, even uh, Japan and Taiwan and Korea have been lending to traditional Western owners, um, either directly lately or initially on sale and leaseback transactions, which gave them the additional security of actually owning the asset. And if the owner didn't perform, it became much easier to take control of that. They have had that, uh, this sale and leaseback transaction is something that uh, has been around now for quite uh, Initially, people were afraid that uh, the leasing companies would uh, enact their privileges uh, immediately as soon as there was a small problem. We've seen that they are dealing with it quite professionally up to now. Uh, so the, this uh, way of financing has, uh, I think, gained uh, traction. Again, though, it's only this is only really doable uh, for bigger companies and uh, generally bigger tickets. So there is a lot of financing that is available, debt financing, replacing the traditional debt, Western bank debt financing. Uh, I want to close this uh, 
section by saying that Greece recently has also become uh, very aggressive. The Greek banks uh, who know most of the uh, participants in the market and can evaluate uh, the quality of guards because it's not only the quantity, it's the quality. Uh, and they have people in, within the banks that are familiar with shipping have also been growing their portfolio and lending to Greeks and others uh, significant amounts of money at uh, very decent uh, spreads. So I think there is no lack of financing generally for well-run uh, medium to large. It becomes very difficult for smaller companies and they have to resort to the more expensive capital that can be found uh, th through these, uh, these uh, Western uh, credit finance groups that have grown. Thank you, Aristide. Uh, Michael, can I have your perspective both on the on the Greek banks and whether uh, hopefully they can they can fill a gap at least for for the Greek shipping community, um, and and also a bit of a perspective on the Asian shale and leaseback option. Well, I I completely agree with Aristide's painting of the debt landscape. I mean, Greek banks recently have become quite active. And certainly, they can play a role and uh, fill in uh, part of the gap for mainly for Greek owners. As far as the uh, Far Eastern, uh, let's say, debt options, including China, Chinese uh, leasing, I mean, I would agree with Aristides that has become now mainstream. Uh, so I think it's a real option, but again, it's more available for big owners. In most cases, uh, all these uh, providers, they require to have uh, some sort of recourse and some sort of balancing. So it's not available for everybody, but certainly for, for big owners and for big tickets projects, it's, it's, a, it's a real option. And I think it's, although the capacity has been reduced from, uh, let's say, the peaks that we saw a few years back, still, I think they are quite active and will continue to be active. Uh, George, is, is being public, uh, how does it um, affect or not affect the debt financing? Do you have greater optionality? Do the banks uh, see you differently? Um, can, can you comment on that a bit? Yes, uh, I would say that being public, it, one thing that it does definitely do is uh, it opens up uh, the options for uh, debt and for various types of debt something that being, being private, it's more difficult due to the requirements, uh, you know, the various requirements uh, for capital markets. Uh, have, being a public company, you can raise debt in various forms that are not available for uh, a private owner. Uh, you can also go out in the market for a, for a bond. Of course, private owners can also do bonds, but public companies can do it much faster and, and far more efficient. And given the fact that the history of uh, private owners with uh, public bonds has not been fantastic in, uh, in shipping, uh, public companies have uh, a preference for the, for the capital markets. Uh, in addition to that, we have these ATM programs in a public market, whether you call it the baby bond, whether you call it uh, you know, preferred equity and so on and so forth. All of that is uh, tools that 
public companies have and they're great tools I have to say. So the answer is definitely from a debt perspective, a public company has in, in this market uh, a much bigger leverage than uh, a, a privately owned company uh, in, in our times. Eddie, um, Eddie, traditionally, uh, my experience from the, with the Greek banks has been that they're much more keen to lend to the uh, private owners. Um, as we see them now potentially uh, re-emerge and, and be willing to um, lend in the shipping space, uh, do you see there's a possibility from the Greek banks and their approach to change vis-a-vis -vis public owners? Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. This used to be the case, not anymore. Uh, I think Greek banks and um, uh, are looking into public companies as well. Uh, recently, we did uh, finance with a Greek bank, traditional Greek bank, and we're very happy with that. Um, uh, we need uh, the banks, the Greek banks in the market. We need uh, banks who understand shipping and Greek banks understand shipping. Let's not forget what happened after 2010 when most traditional banks uh, European banks started exiting and the way they, they exited. So uh, we need banks who understand shipping. And I think Greek banks is, is a very good support and we're very, very uh, pleased that they're looking into public companies as well. Excellent. And let me, let me ask you also, you know, um, as we were preparing for the session, waiting for, for uh, Nicholas's countdown, we're talking about other panels and um, Nicholas mentioned about the uh, uh, more generally uh, uh, ESG and give us your perspective on the ESG principles as a public company and how it affects your interaction with equity and debt providers and, and, and your governance model and, and, and how much attention um, is given to that today. Question to... Sorry, to you, Eddie. Apologies. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. okay. I mean, you know, we are trying to um, be on the, you know, on the side. I mean, we, our fleet is all eco-fleet or eco-modified fleet. Uh, you're right. Investors are asking about uh, EGS all the time. It's a very uh, strong presentation point. Um, so uh, we take environmental matters and the strategy of the company is uh, focused on quality eco-vessels and well-maintained. Uh, we're, you know, doing whatever we can to up upgrade the vessels, uh, you know, the usual ballast water treatment systems, etc. Um, we benefit, since we do not do the technical management ourselves, we, t we benefit from our managers' uh, uh, environmental and social standards. Um, and as a Marshall Islands Corporation, we have very good governance practices in place, led by respected independent board members. Um, we utilize le uh, lead leading uh, legal SOX and accounting firms. So uh, periodically we have to present these points uh, and other points to the investment community and our lenders. This is all we do for the time being, but we understand it's a very important issue and we're uh, looking at it very, very uh, carefully. Let me, uh, we have a couple of questions from the audience, so let me um, uh, read those and, and I leave it up to you uh, who wants to take uh, the lead in answering. So the first one is, um, we saw in 2020, uh, partly as a result of the um, contagion period, most of the public shipping companies in the tanker sector 
their stocks dipping while their earnings were going sky high because of demand of their investors. Why do you believe that the stock prices of those companies didn't track their earnings path? Anyone care to comment? I think, and if I may, I think that uh, this comes back to what Aristide said at the beginning, that, uh, you know, investors are hardly convinced that they're going to be sustainable learnings going forward. And unless we see sustainable learnings, it will be extremely hard to convince any, any investor that uh, a spike that lasts one or two months, it's uh, something that, uh, you know, he should consider seriously to invest and, uh, and come back, you know, and play a role in, in the space. So I think that it's all about, you know, have sustainable profitability and earnings that need to last. And I think that investors during the last, uh, let's say, decade, uh, they have seen from time to time the spikes that didn't last. So it's a little bit like crying wolf. So it's very difficult to, to convince them unless you have the, you know, the results there that they can see that there was not another spike. So I think that's, that's the main reason why we haven't seen uh, tanker stocks reflecting the, you know, the, the earnings that uh, we saw back in uh, April, May. Um, and of course, you know, it looks like uh, we need time in order to get uh, you know, what has become a norm in shipping you know, with all these stocks trading at significant discounts to NAV uh, you know, to correct itself. So I think that it's not going to be easy. And unless we see a market that will uh, convince investors that it's not another spike, uh, you know, it will be very hard to do. Thank you, Michael. And uh, the second question we have is um, uh, relates to the credit funds. And, and we mentioned earlier um, that uh, some of them may be a bit more aggressive if things don't go well and move quickly to enforce. And I wanted to ask, how can one be protected when you have uh, a counterparty like that to deal with, uh, let's say, more technical type of uh, defaults? And, and, and what can you do to protect from, from a more aggressive counterparty? I think, uh, can I answer? Yeah, yeah, please. please, please. <laughs> that one can really protect himself is by complying with the terms of the agreement that he has. Uh, there is no, no other uh, real way of protecting yourself. You have to, of course, know the fund that you're talking to, talk to them honestly, and try and find a solution with them, uh, which uh, will make them feel confident that they are not going to lose uh, their money. Uh, so if, if there is, you have to talk to them. And uh, I think that's the only, only solution. You have to comply. Sorry. The, the other solution is to call us, by the way. Yes. Let's not forget that. <laughs> <laughs> OK, as we, as, Expensive. We approaching, <laughs> as we are approaching the, the, the countdown, I, uh, one question I, I maybe hear from, from George and Eddie. Um, we mentioned earlier that uh, maybe we're in a, a, a good um, part of the cycle today where there, there is uh, potential less supply. Um, where do you see the industry five years from now and vis-a-vis uh, -vis the capital issues that we're discussing? And what do you think the options available will be down the road uh, uh, market-wise and, and, and um, capital-wise? 
George, you wanna start? Yeah, it's a very difficult question, I have to say, uh, but I will try to give my opinion. It's very, it's very hard to see in five years where we're gonna be. There's a lot of issues that play a role. Uh, what's gonna be the new fuel and all of these technical issues for new ships. Uh, the environmental issues are gonna play a big role. Generally speaking, I think we will have uh, the same major banks that we have today, financing shipping. I don't think any of those major banks that have been left uh, are going to exit. Uh, we will have the credit funds for sure. Uh, the credit funds will evolve. The credit funds have begun their, their trajectory a lot more aggressive uh, with respect to pricing. And they have realized that this doesn't work. And now as time goes by and they become more experienced, they adjust the pricing to more realistic levels. So I would imagine within five years, we will see credit funds in these deals at more realistic levels so that they can be a real uh, option for uh, owners not in uh, distress. Uh, right now, they're more for owners in distress, I would say some, in some cases. So I would imagine what we see today in a more refined way with respect to credit funds and the banks that, they, that there are today will continue to be. This is my small view. Well, I, 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 I will not, I know the time is over. I will just say that the, I see the industry will be over-regulated in five years. We will be technologically confused, as George mentioned, but hopefully in a better market environment. Let's not forget the market has been very bad, especially for tankers this year. Uh, considering the situation with the pandemic. So hopefully in a better market momentum. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, uh, everyone. Uh, the time is indeed up. Um, there are a couple more questions from the panel, uh, from the audience, apologies, that uh, maybe maybe can be discussed uh, off, offline. Uh, but thank you again. Thank you to uh, the Capital Inc. team for hosting us and to the audience uh, for, for listening in and um, yeah, hopefully uh, a lot of opportunities to make money in these next few years, provided uh, people pick the right companies and the right partners. Thank you again. Thank, Thank you to all of you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nicola. Thank you. Bye-bye.